Hello and welcome to episode four of the Uneducated Cycling Podcast with me, Karen Harris and Dav Thomas. Hi, Dav. How are you doing? Hi. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, Dav. Today's stage was a bit of a a dry one, wasn't it? There wasn't much to talk about. Yeah, could have, could have done with a bit more uh, entertainment, I think, today. I think the, the best entertainment was watching Alaphilippe just doing an Alaphilippe, looking great all day, and then all of a sudden just blowing up. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was a day for the breakaway, though, wasn't it? First day after Bond 2, and I think everyone needed a break, really. Yeah, I think everyone was pretty much tired. Um Shame for Cav, obviously, with the chance of the record, but, uh, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, probably. We should probably go back to stage one since the rest day, which was stage uh, ten. Wow, it's it's all about De Koenig, that stage, isn't it? It's wicked. Wicked. It was just phenomenal performance. An amazing lead-out, and then... Cav had to pop his nose in the wind for the last, <laughs> what, 100 metres, and that's it? Yeah, pretty much. I think it was about 100 metres he had to do. Um, oh, it was a great great to watch, that sprint train. I thought, thought it would be a good opportunity, actually, to explain what a sprint train is, because for some of our listeners, they probably don't know some of the terminology. Um, should you want to tackle that one, Dav? I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you've been anywhere near a str- sprint train in your life, have you? from <laughs> experience, <laughs> All 40 kilos of you, or whatever you are. <laughs> it's effectively when all, all, all six teammates just effectively just lead out one and work for one guy in their team, which is Mark Cavendish. And you've got you've got some lead out riders who will be the last person in in the train, which will guide Cav right to the end, as we saw today, really to the last hundred meters. And then you've got the other part of the lead out train, they'd be more further out, where they try and get the whole team into position with about two k, one k to go make sure they're up front, away from danger, and make sure they don't get swamped by other teams. Um, it's just about keeping their sprinter in the right position and out of trouble, really, which is what Quickstep are doing really well this tour. Yeah, it's, it normally leads to these sort of great drag races, isn't it, where you see two yeah. teams you know, on different sides of the roads. Say, say it's down like a dual carriageway in, in a British terms. You'd have two two on different sides of the road just absolutely pelting it and you'd see from about 2k out you'd have one guy leading and then he'd drop off do about 300 meters drop off next guy 300 meters drop off and etc etc until eventually you lead to the sprinter with about 200 meters to go hopefully and that's that's pretty much how it worked perfectly for de Koenig. Um, and it works so good with de Koenig. it's because they're so close as teammates you can see that they trust each other They've got faith in each other and they know each team member will do their job, lead Cav out to where they're meant to, to drop them off and then job done. And they know Cav will deliver nine times out of ten. Well, exactly. They call themselves the Wolf Pack, don't they? And they have this real 
team mentality about them. They've had it for years. I think I think the other thing you do have to mention is that there are no other teams this year who are really leading out. You know, Lot- seen- Lotto no. would have been the other option, Lotto Sidal, but they lost Caleb yeah. Ewan, obviously, in stage four. Um, and then, obviously, the only other team would have been Alps in Fenix, but they've lost Van der Poel and Philipsen, who were both abandoned. But then, yeah, you look at Alpacine's tactics and in comparison to Quickstep, who were obviously leading out Cav, they were almost... I would, they were sprinting against each other at some point. Yeah. They, yeah. Completely agree. I've not seen a lead-out performance as good as this since the days of HTC Columbia back in 2009 to 2011. Which, which was... Cavs also part of. Yeah, which was Cavs' old team, obviously. Um Back in the days, where was that? Was that Mark Renshaw? Did Mark Renshaw come a bit later? That was Mark Renshaw. Yeah. Renshaw, George Hincapie, uh, Bernard Eisel. Yes. Yeah. Of, of 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 those, obviously, Bernie Eisel and um, Mark Renshaw then followed Cav to to Koenig. Um, sorry, not to Koenig to. Um, oh, Dimension Data. Yeah. 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 I remember that was that was the big thing was they pairing Mark Renshaw and Cavendish and Mercu and Cav have the same combination I think you saw on stage ten where they he led him out to two hundred meters to go and then dropped him off and went there you go and I think I think it's fair to say that Cav I don't I'm not hundred percent convinced that Cav is the quickest sprinter in the race but he's definitely got the best team. I think you saw Wat van Aert race against him. It was close. Philipson's pretty quick as well, to be fair to him. Yeah, he's the, he's the best sprinter in terms of he's he's tactically very aware as well. Yes, like how he how he how easy it is for him to serve the wheels and choose his line and and all that jazz, which, <laughs> which clearly the other riders can't do as well. I think that's the first time that uh, cycling has been compared to jazz. I think it's probably the last time, isn't it, as well? <laughs> I don't see anyone comparing Cavendish to Louis Armstrong, particularly anytime soon. Wrong <laughs> Armstrong. Yeah. Oh, dear, Dad, that was poor. <laughs> um, yeah, but the, probably the only other thing to comment about stage 10 was um, we saw a bit of crosswinds and um, caused, this caused echelons, which is the term coined... Um, for well, it's maybe best for you to explain to have this. Put me on the spot again. Yeah, sorry about this. Yeah. I did warn you. He's coming up. It's just when the wind changes direction on a on a certain route, which means, and it's usually when the road as well is quite zigzaggy, which means it, the wind is always changing direction. You get a crosswind, and you get a tailwind, and you get another bit of crosswind again which effectively splits the whole peloton apart and makes it 10 times harder to hold the wheel. Yeah. So if you've got a team like Quickstep on the front, and they, they'll have in their radio pieces their DNS saying to them, there's a, the road is changing in 5K's time and there's massive crosswind, so get onto the front, apply the pressure. So by that point, when they've reached the crosswinds, the, they can just blow up the peloton and if you've lost the wheel then you'll 
suddenly find yourself two minutes down the road and you won't be coming back. Yeah, exactly. You see these, uh, it's a cross headwind which crosses these um, echelons, isn't it? So yeah. the riders are wanted to hide away from the wind. So say the wind's blowing from the right into yeah. their faces, they'll want to hide behind the rider slightly to the left of the rider, isn't it? So, so it creates this almost diagonal shape across the road. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then eventually, say one rider can't hold the wheel or gets really, t- you know, gets tired, or sometimes you see them actively trying to jump out of the wheel to create these gaps behind. Yeah, they'll jump out, and then the next rider has to work twice as hard to get back on the wheel because the the impact of you know st- uh, streamlining behind someone is so significant, especially in a crosswind, isn't it? The easiest thing to do in that. Well, I'd say easiest. The most, the smartest thing to do in that situation would be to keep rolling through. Yeah. To front and then dropping back and rolling through, dropping back. That is a lot easier than trying to hold the wheel at the back of that group in those conditions. Yeah, that was a big thing we saw in stage 10, wasn't it? Because we saw Vinegard or Vinigo or Vinegar. I'm still not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, (laughs) Someone needs to decide how to pronounce it. Hopefully, someone in ITV. Um, we saw him rolling through to the front. We also saw uh, Carapaz rolling through to the front without any Ineos teammates. They got caught up in a crash, I think, about 50k to go, didn't they? And it was a bit bit of a poor showing from Ineos, really, I thought, on the front. Um, but yeah, you saw them rolling through, whereas normally they'd be uh, you know, hiding from the wind, I suppose. But in yeah. this, this essence, they would realise the importance of rolling through just to keep that... Uh, circulation to be in the top 10 riders just in case it breaks up so that they have less work to do. Um, One of the main instigators of that was Juliana Philippe, which I I haven't seen a world champion um, show the jersey as well since Petr Sagan had the jersey. You know, we saw Valverde last year wearing the jersey. He had a bit of, bit of a poor year by his standards. I don't think he got a single win. I think the year before, was it Pedersen who had the World Champions jersey? Yeah. And he was pretty pretty quiet in that that jersey, I thought. And it's good to see someone live up to the... Honour it, yeah. Yeah, honour it and live up to the esteem that that, that deserves. Because we saw him attack early on stage, stage 10 yeah. and, you know, force a breakaway which took the points away from the likes of Colbrelli and... Um, Matthews in the intermediate sprint and then at the end obviously Cavendish mopped up all the points so that, that was very good it was a very good performance from De Koenig all in all It was a good sprint as well from uh, Wout van Aert to get second place Yes um, Well I think it's not really a sprinter Well he's, he does everything We we've I think we've spoken about how Matthew van der Poel can do everything Wout van Aert has done everything. He's arguably probably the better time trialist, although maybe this year, I think there was only a second in between them, but I, I didn't realise he'd had his appendix out two months ago. <laughs> so he's doing absolutely brilliantly to be yeah. performing as well as he is. Um, well, as you've mentioned, Wout van Aert, let's talk about stage 11 because it's, it is ridiculous that a guy who finishes second in a bunch sprint, a, a pure bunch sprint, and then finishes first over the two well two rides over Mont Ventoux which is possibly the most famous climb in Tour de France bar maybe Abdouez it is ridiculous and 
hardest stage of the tour. Yeah, the Queen stage, as they like to call yeah. it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, it's not like he was sitting on the wheels all day and then attacked. He he effectively formed the breakaway, was working in the breakaway, rolling through, rowing through, and he was climbing with the likes of Balcom Olimer, Kenny Alessand, they're really good climbers in their in their own right. And this guy who came second in the sprint the previous day just drops him on on vote two. The amount of times we've seen with a good sprinter or a good sprinter climber that they say, oh, it's so important for these climbers to drop them on the climb. You know, you can't take them to the finish. You can't take... And that's what I the, the commentators are saying all day. You know, they're saying... We can't. You can't take Alaphilippe. You can't take Wout van Aert to the finish because they will beat you in a sprint. Yeah, which is true. Uh, and then that's all you're thinking about. That that's probably what Trek were thinking about because Trek had the three riders: Benar, uh, Balcomolema, and Alisson. So coming to that final climb of Montfon two, the second time, um, Alisson attacks, which I thought was a very good tactic. You know, it forced Julian Alaphilippe. Uh, I think yeah. Luke Durbridge was still there as well to, to ride and Wat van Aert and allows Balcomolema just to sit on the wheels and then counter was probably the plan to probably yeah. counter and bridge up to Kelly Alessand and then ride to the finish hand in hand. Um, didn't didn't work like that because Wat van Aert decided, well, I'm going to counter and I'm going to ride straight across to Alessand. Yeah. And it, and it yeah, it was ridiculous. What What is Wat van Aert and how far... I, he's a classics rider, isn't he? He's, he's the he's the king of the uh, well, he's king of on two after yesterday. <laughs> he's king of the one day stage races. Yeah, I think probably just to bear in mind this this is a climb that has seen Chris Froome win in the yellow jersey before. Yeah, you know, it is it's a it's a proper big stage for for the general classification or for big-named riders to win. And he's ridden over Mont Ventoux. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd expect him to put time into people in the descent. I didn't expect him to put as much time in the ascent. Do you think... He, he... Wasn't, he wasn't losing that much time as well on the second ascent. He lost... He was holding about four minutes at the bottom of, at, for most of the climb, and he lost about 30 seconds over the top, which is... Fine, he wanted to save something maybe, but yeah, I think he, I think he only lo- lost a little bit of time when Vinigo attacked late on, didn't he? Uh, his teammate yeah. um, in the in the uh, general classification group, that is. Um, do you think Wout van Aert can go for GC later in his career, or do you think that's a bit out of his reach? I don't see why not. Again, if you've got the whole team behind you, and you can, and you can whack out performances like he did at Font 2 then absolutely you know because he's, he's got the rest of the package he's got his great time trialist he can clearly look after himself in a peloton we've seen that with bunch sprints etc um, yeah. I think it's just that matter of replicating day after day and performing day after day isn't it um, which is going to be a challenge for him uh, but I I thought we might see him give it a go after Roglic dropped out but I think there were a couple of really hard stages in this tour and he probably wasn't in the best preparation um, which is ridiculous considering he just won the Queen stage on the Tour de France yes yeah um, 
well, moving from him, should we should we move to Vinegard because or Vinigo? Um, I, I think I'm going to say Vinegar. I'm just going to stick to that for the time being. Um, it was it was a pretty incredible performance from him as well in the general classification group. Unexpected. Yeah. And as there's nothing against him. It's just that you think of Yumbo and you think of Roglic, who was the leader, and then you think, who else have they got on the team? And then you think, oh, you've well, been out. And then this other guy's dropping Bogacha. Yeah, so it was a bit of a strange stage. We saw um, the Ineos team gang up on the front and just do a classic Ineos train. Then Carapaz tried to attack off that, couldn't. Um, and then we saw Vinegar just go. And Pogaccia kept with him for a little bit, then had to drop off. Unfortunately, Vinegar couldn't keep it on the descent because he was working against three. I think Uran, Carapaz and Pogaccia worked together really well to bring him back, didn't they? Uh, they brought back a gap of about 40 seconds at the summit. Yeah. To all finish together. Um but it was a very impressive ride from him, considering, what is he, 24? Is his first, first Tour de France? Is it his first? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, on that, there was a quite a funny moment. I don't know if you saw this, that um, in the interview afterwards, Pagarcha said, oh, what, you know, someone asked him, what do you think of the performance by Vinegar? And he said, oh yeah, it was a really good performance. He's got He's got a good future ahead of him. And, Pogacar's 22. He's saying that another guy has got a good future ahead of him who's older than him, which is just ridiculous. You know, he's he's now the elder statesman of the peloton, and you've seen how he's been trying to dominate the peloton or trying to stamp his authority with the way he's treated Ineos throughout the tour. Yeah. Um, just, you know, not allowing them to ride on the front as much as they want to, making sure he's in prime position. I'm looking at... Um... Valpenart's um, time at Mont Ventoux and he he did a time of 37.14 seconds and he was in the breakaway by himself. Now, Pogaccia was only a minute and a half quicker than him at Bucline. Yeah, which is, which is nuts when you consider the fact that he's got a whole team forcing it at the front. He's also got benefit of being in the wheels all day yeah and counter attacks and being able to jump across wheels whereas well but that was just yeah was just pretty much solo all the way after Kenny Nalisson went wasn't it yeah yeah um I think that covers most of stage 11 apart from obviously the sad abandon of um Luke Rowe there were a few other abandons that day but Lucro missed the time limit. A bit of a shame for him. Um, I think I read on his one of his social media, he said uh, that he just didn't feel good, was dropped with about 100Ks to go and knew he was yeah. in a world of pain. So, Yeah, he did some work early on in the stage, didn't he? And then as soon as it starts to go uphill, he just uh, lights out. Yeah, yeah. shame for Ineos, shame for him. Um, but I'm sure we'll see him next year and... He'll be back to his uh, best captaining the team. Um, yeah. Stage 12, yeah, as we've mentioned at the start of the pod, wasn't wasn't the most thrilling of stages. I think 
the fact ITV's commentary had a comedian in in the commentary booth sort of st- <laughs> suggested <laughs> that it wasn't going to be the most exciting stage. <laughs> well, I think just let the break go, didn't they? They obviously, they obviously, Cav was an effort to it, which like you wouldn't blame him. They've just done Mon Von Two twice the day before, so he wanted another rest day effectively. And it was a chance for some of the teams who haven't really factored in this year's tour to get their names on the TV. Yeah, it was. Um, Bora Hansgrohe obviously had had Sagan uh, retire early that stage. He'd still been suffering ever since that crash with Caleb Ewan. Hadn't really, we'd seen him in the background of sprints, but hadn't really seen him at the fore. Um, and what a way to, to sort of performed for your team by Niels Pollitt. Such a clever attack as well. Just before... Yeah. Ju- yeah. On almost the last uphill bit of of the route, just before you can get all the downhill and get all the tailwind behind him. It's the speeds they were going at. Yeah, so they had a tailwind pretty much all day, didn't they? And, you know, the speeds yeah. you're looking at was 70Ks, 60, 70Ks all day. Um, I think the average speed was the highest of the tour so far at about 40, 48, 49, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's what was really clever about it is that you know, the term that they use is spinning out, isn't it? When you reach yeah. your terminal velocity is that you can, I, I don't know if you possibly part-time cyclists will understand this, is that if you're going downhill and you're cycling, there's a point where no matter how hard you pedal, you will not yeah. increase your speed because of the fact that the wheels are spinning so quickly already. Your legs are spinning so quickly that you're, you're in the biggest gear. You've, you're as aero as you can go. And yeah. And that's what the problem was. Once he attacked over the top, there was no way of catching him because of the fact that they couldn't yeah. go any quicker than he was already going. And, you know, yeah. they, there was that great attack by Harry Sweeney in his first tour. No, he's 22. Um, but then he was counted by Niels Pollitt, and it was a, it was a pretty, pretty stellar group to be fair with Pollitt, Arviti, Sweeney, Kung, Mezget, Greipel, Turns. You know, you've got a great split between phenomenal time trialists and really good sprinters and classics riders. Um, yeah, Julian Alaphilippe again was in in the breakaway. Don't know if he's going to take a day off this tour. It might be a good idea for him. Um, <laughs> he won't be having a day off tomorrow, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll be back on Cav duty. Um, well, fingers crossed. But yeah, what a what a ride by Niels Pollitt. For the rest of the peloton, pretty quiet day, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty quiet. I think they just, gave them 15 minutes or so in the end, didn't they? Yeah, over the lines. just let him get up the road. In those sort of days, what what do you think is the important thing for the peloton? What what do you do? You, what do you do? Do you just stay out of trouble and just try and cover wheels and just make sure you don't expend any excess energy? Is that the aim? Just yeah, stay out of trouble and and try and recover as much as you can because that was a perfect transition stage for someone like Cavendish or the other extreme one of the climbers. Yeah, because they could just yeah try sit in the sit in the peloton and have a rest have another rest day effectively. Yeah, and I think I think everyone needed it after Mont Ventoux and obviously the tour so far has been so difficult. We did see yeah. small little um, 
kind of sprint towards the end between Mark Cavendish, Michael Matthews, Philipson and uh, a few just, others. Just Cavendish proving a point, making a point when he, he was just saying, I'm the sprinter here, yeah, I'm the best. Yeah, stamping his authority and just yeah. making a point, I think that was very good from him. So I think that covers off the last few days. I think, as I mentioned, stage 12 was a bit bit of a quiet one for everyone and stage 10 was crosswinds. Stage 11, one one two obviously was pretty pretty brutal on everyone, but I think bar a few gaps lower down on GC, we didn't see much. Um, ben O'Connor losing a, a few minutes to go back down to fifth. Um, yeah. And Uran's now up to second, Vinegard's in third and Carapaz fourth. It's a great ride from Iran. Yeah, he's he's doing a Iran. He really is. No one's talking about him. He's just going about his job very quietly. He's a better time trialist than uh, Carapaz. Um, I think it's pretty even between him and Vinegar. I think Vinegar was better than him in the first time trial, but um, you know we'll see how that goes in the second. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting for the rest of the week. I was just wondering if you wanted to reset your predictions for the tour because I think we went with the start of the tour or after, after the first couple of days I think we had Pogacar 1 Carapaz 2 Roglic 3 um, obviously Roglic has since abandoned Carapaz hasn't looked in the best of form I assume you're not moving from Pogacar unless you're trying something really really uh, out there <laughs> <laughs> Thomas has still got a chance hasn't he <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, as as far as being an hour down and winning the tour, I think he's. I think he's. Anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen I in think, the tour, but I don't think that's happening. I think I'll still go Pogaccia for the win. Yeah, and I'm going to say I got to get his name right now. Um, Vinegard. Okay. For second. Yeah. And. Carapaz for third place. Yeah, that's the interesting one. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna have Vinegar in my top three. I, my reasoning for it is that I think his team's a little bit weaker. There's only five riders left in the team now with Lotto, yeah. and I think we'll see Van Aert still go for stage wins. So that might leave them with only four. Um, <clears throat> and one of those is. Turnison, who's only for the flat. He's no no good in the mountains, really, Mike Turnison. So he left with Sapkos yeah. and Kreuzvig on their own. I think... Sapkos is the only one from that team who hasn't crashed. Yeah. Back for you. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pretty horrible tour for them, hasn't it? I do feel for them. And, yeah. and to be honest, I'm, I'm quite glad to see them doing well because as it stood on the tour, I was, I was about to say it's been the tour from hell. But then... Stage 11, they had a great stage. Um, I'm going to go with Uran second, based purely on the fact I think he's a better time trialist. Although I think Carapaz... I think there's a day Carapaz will get time on everyone. I can't see... He's a better climber, in my opinion, than all the others there, bar Pogacar. The, the one worry for Carapaz is, has he burnt his matches too soon? Because yeah. he's had a few attempts at attacks and they haven't worked out. And his team clearly isn't where it should be. Do you think Bogacha's spent all his credit? He showed a crack on um, Von 2, which, oh. is a, which usually is a sign of things to come. 
Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe slightly. I think I think it'll be a defensive tour for for the rest of the time. Maybe for Pogacar, we may see him stamp his authority a couple of times with little sprints, that sort of thing. But um, I don't see him losing much more than half a minute on any summit finish. I really don't. I think that's the most we can see. He's definitely worse in the heat than he is in the rain. I think that's the big thing. I think I think the Mont Ventoux stage was quite warm. I think he struggled in the heat a little bit. Whereas, um, when it's wet, when it's when it's horrible weather, I think that suits him. But yeah, I, I think he'll be okay. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I think he he might lose he might lose a bit of time on the last few stages, maybe, but he won't. Nothing significant. No, I don't think. No, I th- I agree. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go Carapaz third. I think Vinegar will lose a lose time somewhere. I think he's going to struggle one day. I think I I struggle to see him doing well the whole tour, but maybe that's a bit. Uh, Just a shame that. Wrong. Um, in, I don't know if you agree. But it's a shame that Mont Ventoux stage finished as it did, um, with a descent. I think it would have been a much more fiery and. More interesting stage if it had just finished up on two. Yeah, completely agree. I I struggle to see sometimes why these, you know, that especially with that sort of descent, you know, yeah. if, if it's a technical descent where it's down to your technique as a descender, I can understand it. But the way that descent was, that you had to ride it, so it worked well to to ride it as a three or as a four. Yeah. So you could rotate and then, you know, as we saw, uh, Pogaccio ran and Carapaz rotating through. Yeah. I think that was a lot more beneficial for them than it was for Vinegar, who had to ride on his own. I I don't really understand the need for those sort of descents, or I would rather see it just end up the mountain, as you suggested, which would have given Vinegar 40 seconds, would have given Pogaccio 10 seconds over Uran and Carapaz as well. So... I think those sort of gaps would have been more interesting for the tour as yeah. a whole. Just getting um, getting my Wikipedia up. You <laughs> know, um, <laughs> Mont Ventoux used to be um, uh, covered in um, fully covered in trees. Yes. Yeah. Forest. Back in the day. Yeah. I know that. That's, it's, it's like this um, planet landscape at the top, isn't it? It's yeah, like this moonscape, whereas. Yeah, it used to be all forest. All forest. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> looking forward to the next few days then, Dav. Uh, what are your predictions for tomorrow? We've got what looks like a sprint stage on paper, but maybe a breakaway day? That looks like a sprint stage, doesn't it? I mean, it's got a fourth country climb within the first 50k, and then after that, you've got an intermediate sprint... Uh, 100k yeah I reckon I'm going to go for Cav for tomorrow yeah I think I'm going to agree as well Um, I know I went with Colbrelli for today but yeah for tomorrow I think I'll go with uh, I think I'll go with Cav Um, I'm looking forward to stage 14 that could be a breakaway day I think yeah I completely agree I think it's a breakaway day the the only reason I wonder if it might not is it does look like uh, I think it might suit Carapaz because that's a short short sharp climb at seven point four percent. Yeah, 
Carapaz may want to go for that one. It's actually quite a short stage as well. It's only 100... Well, it's 180k. So, just over 100 miles for them. So, if a break's going to go, they'd have to go really early to get enough time to hold their advantage over all those climbs. Yeah, and I think that's one of those stages where it could take a while for the break to go because everyone will want to go on it. And there isn't that sort of... There isn't that no. big mountain anywhere. You know, I think there's it's a little uncategorised climb after 12 and a half, 12 and a half K. But apart from that, there's no real mountains apart from the one, the third category at 50 K to get yeah. that natural selection. So it could be a while for the breakaway yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, and then it kicks off. I'm going to go with Alaphilippe. Oh, he needs a day off. He does need a day off, but he never takes a day off. So he's going to win one of these. He has to. I can't see a way that he doesn't. And I want to see Thomas again do a long-range attack. And I think he's due one. That, to me, doesn't look like a Thomas against stage, though. I'm looking at it now. It's just another downhill finish, isn't it? Yeah. You know, your last climb is 20k's from the finish. Or, well, near enough, 17k's, sorry. Could be a, a Gilbert day. Mm, I I don't see yeah. it being Gilbert today. I think he's past. I think he's slightly past it. Oh, you just changed from past it to slightly past it. <laughs> well, I didn't want to offend him too much, but I, I doubt he listens, so it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I doubt he listens to any podcast, let alone <laughs> let alone ours. Um, I'm yeah, I'm gonna stick to Alaphilippe, and you're gonna go with one of the Lotto boys. I think is it. Keeping your options open there. Let's do stage 15 as well. Another downhill finish. Their final first category climb is about 15k's from the finish. Called the Bay X Alice. Yeah, that's definitely... This is why I didn't try it. Um, <laughs> another downhill finish. What was the fascination with downhill finishes in this sort of trance? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a bit unconvinced by it myself. I think a downhill finish can be exciting if it's a technical descent. But if it's a if it's a similar descent to the one on Mont Ventoux, it'll be a pretty pretty boring descent, I think. I think, yeah. But I'm trying to look yeah. at that. I think this could be a GC day just because they have to make it a GC day at some stage. Yeah. You know, they need to get time back on each other. Um, Carapaz especially. So I'm going to go with Carapaz. Yeah. But, but looking at that downhill finish, depends depends how technical the descent is. If it's not very technical, I'll go Pogaccia. Because I think he'll beat them all in the sprint. I'm going to go for Iran. 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 I haven't seen him win a stage in a long, long time. No, but he's on form this year. And, I, and he's... And he's good in a sprint as well. He's so. not as good as Pogaccia. He's definitely not as quick as Pogaccia. In a sprint, yeah. Absolutely. You think he's quicker than Pogaccia in a sprint? In a one-on-one -on -one sprint, absolutely. Oh, we could see that. I, I, I would question that. I've seen Pogaccia. In a sprint, absolutely not. But on a sprint, yes. Pogaccia's qu as quick as Roglic on a sprint. Roglic is the fastest of the GC guys for years. Well, we'll he's see. Not he's not here to prove it. Is he? <laughs> Bless him. We'll see it. We'll see what happens. That should cover off the rest of the week. I think then we're going into stage 
Um, the next stage is the rest day, so that should cover off a few more days. Um, next pod on the rest day? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Next pod on the rest day will probably be out the following morning uh, because we are a bit lazy in editing. But yeah, should be out on the should be out on the the following morning. Anyway, yeah. cheers, Dav. Thanks very much. Cheers. Ciao. Bye. Bye.